0: We dive into the Commissioner's All-Star Game Address, including big markets versus small markets and branching out into Africa.
1: And new allegations surface regarding disgraced NBA ref Tim Donaghy.
0: And concerns about LeBron's health in Los Angeles. It's the Wednesday Locked On NBA podcast. Let's go.
1: You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Middle of the week, hump day, we're here to help you get through it. Thanks for joining us here on the Wednesday Locked On NBA podcast. We are your usual Wednesday hosts. I am John Corrales. I host the Locked On Celtics podcast. I'm also a beat writer for MassLive.com. And you can find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John.
1: And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake.
0: lot to get to even as the all-star break rolls on because the commissioner gave his uh, annual address at the All-Star Game covered a lot. We're going to break it up into a couple of the big meaty things that he talked about. We're going to get to the uh, I want to call it expansion. It's not an NBA expansion. The NBA is throwing its weight behind a league in Africa. President Obama is going to be involved in that in some, in some capacity. That's coming up next. But we're going to start with something that affects you and I dr- uh, directly, Jake. This whole big market versus small market thing. And that was thrown out there again, uh, especially framed around Anthony Davis and a small market team losing him and big market teams seemingly swooping in here to poach him. Uh, it kind of hark, harkens back to the old days of the small market teams just being this kind of feeder for the big market teams and them. But, but I think the commissioner tried to downplay that. He did make note that last season was the first season where the traditional big market teams like the Lakers and Clippers and Bulls and Nets and Knicks all miss the playoffs uh, for the first time ever. Uh, that the payrolls—it's—it's uh, it's more a function of who wants to spend the money versus who can spend the money. So I—I I don't know. I—I I thought he was kind of downplaying it and that he was making the league sound like it's marching closer towards a little bit more parity. Uh, and he didn't seem as concerned. I don't know how you took that, Jacob.
1: Yeah, well, so I guess this wouldn't be a day of the week unless I was talking about Anthony Davis and the the larger implications of this year. But no, you know, I, I read all of that and I kind of heard what he said and it's interesting and I think he made a really good point too of if you ended the season today, like the majority of like the smallest markets in the league would actually be in the playoffs versus on the outside looking in and you'd have teams like the Lakers looking out and the Clippers potentially looking out as well. So, you know, look, Big markets still have an advantage and you look at that initial list that Anthony Davis had that had the Knicks on who haven't, you know, done anything relevant and haven't been good. <laughs> right. Like th- their relevance is that they're terrible and we make jokes about them. That's the only reason they're relevant. It's not for on-court stuff. You know, the Lakers have been struggling this year. He put on these big market teams that had kind of a token inclusion of the Milwaukee Bucks. And then of course now he doesn't care about markets and he's expanded his list to all 20 other 29 teams in the NBA, But I think there's something to what Silver says. And I think you've kind of seen it a little bit in recent years where players just want to go to well-run franchises and they don't want to be at mismanaged franchises. Look at, um, you know, like what the Milwaukee Bucks have built there. They're a bit of a draw, kind of. You know uh, what, who was it that signed? I'm blanking on it. Was it Greg Monroe signed there as a free agent? And that was like a huge deal that he chose Milwaukee over any of the of these other big market teams that are chasing him. And I wonder if we'll see more of that going forward. But until you get a big groundswell of players signing with small market teams and those small markets not needing to overpay role players, which is what we've commonly seen, I'm going to say we're not there yet. But I, I think there's some truth to what he's saying. But we're, we're definitely not there.
0: No, I think what we're seeing here is, especially with Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard, they're one of or two of the few remaining stars that need a bigger market. They they're just not marketable types of players. So Kawhi has no personality, and he the New Balance ad campaign is that he doesn't need all of that stuff. Like they're, they're trying to build an ad campaign around nothing and market, the nothing. And Anthony Davis initially was getting like footlocker ads and stuff. And, and it just faded away. Like he doesn't have that exposure. He doesn't have that thing that uh, transcends is the better way to put it. The, the small market that Russell Westbrook has Russell Westbrook, Transcend small market because he's just a wild personality and he's he's crazy on the court. Uh, I
1: I was gonna say though, that's what it is. It's just that these guys are boring. Yeah. I don't think it's a small market, big market thing because I think we're about to see Giannis plastered on everything and he should basically be the next face of the NBA and he plays in freaking Milwaukee. You know, it's cold there too. You don't even have the good weather part of of living in a city. It's just these guys are bland and boring. There's a reason that when you had DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis paired together, you know, one's this big demonstrative guy and fans really, you know, uh, went for it versus AD who was the better player. They still kind of stayed a little bit away from because of that. Yeah, so uh, they need – Anthony Davis needs to go to L.A. So
0: he can be on TV, on TNT 30 times a year. Like that's – or he needs to go to one of these these markets because pe- people aren't – I hate to say it. People aren't just tuning in to see the Pelicans play. They're not th- – that's not a marquee matchup unless Anthony Davis makes it a marquee matchup and he just doesn't. Uh, he's Not only is he just not personality-wise – that type of player, bigs like that, it's it's hard to market. So that's the
1: other issue, yeah.
0: Yeah, unless you're Shaquille O'Neal, and Shaquille O'Neal had to rip backboards off to to become market. Like he had to be a bigger-than-life personality. It's harder to market bigs because they need somebody to throw them the ball, and then yep. they need to do what? Ooh, look at that drop step! Like that's not sexy. I mean, I think it's sexy, but it's not sexy for advertisers. What is is the Kyrie Irving dribbling between his legs ten times? She, Causing somebody to fall over and then people go, Oh, get up out of their seats. Like that doesn't, and, and even when a big catches a, a, a nasty dunk, but he's big. He's supposed to do that. When Russell Westbrook tears down the middle of the lane, cocks the ball two hands behind his head and tries to rip the rim off the backboard, like that's, that's a, a wow moment. So sometimes, I, so go bring it back to the original discussion. Big market versus small market. There's something there. Because they do give the the boring players some marketability. The other aspect is teams like the Knicks, the Lakers, they can also afford luxury tax, which which is the advantage that they have financially.
1: Well so that's a big part of it. Like there is a Built-in financial advantage, and then when you look at a team like the Knicks that can potentially have a clean slate, go well into the luxury tax to really build a contender, there's some more money that they're able to spend because it's just not as punitive to them compared to these other teams. But again, I think you're also still seeing players just want to go to well-managed organizations no one's trying to you know let's see what the Knicks do this summer and how it goes to them and maybe that will be a really good test case if no free agent big name free agent really signs there or you only get one of those guys do they kind of remain that destination or do players want to go to more uh, better situations that are winning and I wonder if that's going to be the case say they get a guy like Kevin Durant and they don't manage to get you know Anthony Davis or you know your boy Kyrie Irving what then happens with that situation are uh, you know players that want out still being like I will re-sign there and I and you can trade me there or is it okay trade me to you know the Warriors or these other teams even though the Warriors are probably not a good example here but uh, <laughs> you you get what I'm saying and I'm I'm curious to see how that goes but I think there's a start of a shift but we're we're definitely not there
0: no right it, it, the Knicks point is interesting because again the the Knicks. Are the Knicks, and they've historically been so poorly run. Yet they're the one team that seems to transcend all of this stuff because because New York is a cool city to live in, and it has it's it's the East Coast LA as far as marketing opportunities, uh, and and the Knicks the the market is just it's the number one market in in television. So they're generally going to get the The people watching, although their ratings are down, it was just put out by the Sports Business Journal. Uh, their ratings are down like almost fifty percent this year as compared to last. They're, when your When your team sucks, they're, they're, people just aren't going to watch, even in a big market like the Knicks. But uh, I agree. Team like the Paul George signing is, is the great example that a, a yep. team with good front office, with good teammates, with a good feel that that team is in contention. They do, however, have to trade for the guy first, like as good as that is yeah, for that's them a good point to get Paul George. They weren't getting Paul George as a free agent. They had to get Paul George and sell him. Now,
1: maybe that, – That's a really good point on this though.
0: Well, yeah, and thank you. And I, I think you do that enough and players will take notice, but that's the other thing about the small market. So – the, the Pelicans aren't attracting any free agents, although I love New Orleans as a city to live in. But they're not attracting a ton of free agents, so you're going to have to trade for Jason Tatum and convince Jason Tatum to stay there long term and Jalen Brown and sign their extension. So that's that's the big market, small market. Big markets can, can help these guys who need help with their marketing. Uh, big markets can afford to pay the luxury tax where small markets. Aren't, they don't have those regional networks that can can pump money into the system so they do struggle that way so that's the definite disadvantage uh, and it, it's harder to sell players you have to you have to give up assets to sell players on, on the city but it's getting better. would
1: you say it's getting better? Yeah, a little bit, incrementally, which, you know what, I guess is all you can kind of ask for in this case.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's moving in the right direction. And I, I, look, I'm, I cover a big market team, and I'm not going to pretend that the Celtics don't have advantages, but, uh, I, I do want to see the parody, and I think the parody will be great for the league. Uh, th- we've seen some teams are, you know, there are more teams that are in contention. Once the Warriors start to break up, there, it's going to be interesting to see who takes the mantle from there. Okay, moving on. After the break, the NBA is moving, branching out uh, into Africa, creating a new league there. We're going to talk about that and the league's responsibilities when it comes to all of that when we come back here on the Locked On NBA Podcast. Over the All-Star weekend, the NBA announced it was going to launch a professional basketball league in Africa, and it features 12 teams. Teams that are already in existence across Africa will have an opportunity to play, I guess, into this league. It's kind of unclear exactly how the league's going to get constructed, but according to reports, uh, the league's going to debut next year. It's going to be called the Basketball Africa League. It's going to include countries like uh, Egypt, Morocco, Nigeria, Kenya, Rwanda, Senegal, South Africa, Tunisia, uh, Angola. So I mean we're talking about crossing the entire continent. Uh it's going to be very interesting to see how it will uh be executed. The uh is going to be involved obviously, President Obama is going to be involved somehow, and it'd be interesting to see how the execution goes. But, Jake, uh, I think it's a huge step. The African market is an emerging market when it comes to professional basketball. A lot of African players are, have begun, uh, especially in recent years, to not only enter the league but also be very, very good players, and uh, they're starting younger. And we're starting to get, I think, fewer of the Hakeem Olajuwon-type stories of, Oh, I was a teenager and playing soccer, and then people said, oh, you're seven feet tall. You should play this other sport. And you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I was very good at this. It's great to get these guys in younger. It's going to be very good for the league if they can groom talent, the best talent from around the world like this.
1: Yeah, this just feels like something they should be doing and something that is just completely right for the league. You look at kind of the international players, and I'm not just going to focus it on Africa, but I think there's something really important about doing this specifically there. It's growing. All of a sudden, as I just said in the last segment, after that All-Star game, don't you feel like Giannis is about to be the face of the league once LeBron's starting to kind of fade here? He is like he's Greek. His nickname is the Greek freak. <laughs> you know, you, you you can't now kind of ignore this and say they're Euro players and there's kind of, you know, like a, a connotation associated with that. Joel Embiid is from Cameroon. Like, all of this is so important that these guys are pl- clearly able to play in the league, coming to the league. Now, what if you could start some of them early, give them a chance to get into the league with higher odds? I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, and – Obviously, we have so so like you said, Giannis, and Giannis's parents were uh, Nigerian immigrants into Greece. So you have uh, an African connection to Giannis uh, there. Uh, all of these other players, uh, Oji Ananobi, uh, Bismack biombo a lot of these players they play that that uh, annual uh, Africa game there. Uh, so what you have here is a multi-dimensional. Uh, positive impact story. You have the NBA reaching into a continent that throughout the continent is there, there is obviously bas- basketball talent. There's a lot of, there are a lot of great athletes uh, that are undiscovered, and the NBA is trying to put its best product forward, and you scour the world for the best of the best. And this is another expansion to find amongst the billions of people in the world the best the 450 best players so you could put together the best product africa is also a country that struggles with uh, a continent that struggles with uh border conflicts uh there's political strife there is uh, there are some very bad uh elements and and power struggles and, and terror organizations and and misconceptions about things like uh, HIV. There's a lot of very serious problems. Sports can help heal some of that. And I think part of why President Obama is involved is to use the game of basketball to bring people of different cultures within Africa together so they can understand that, just like in the United States, Just like in Europe, different people from different parts of the world, different people from different parts of the continent. People hear Africa, and they think it's like one place. Like it's a gigantic continent with dozens of countries that have diverse backgrounds. Using the game of basketball, I think, is going to help them take people from South Africa and Egypt and Cameroon and bring them together and so they can understand each other better. So they can understand, hey, look, we're, we're all people too. And some of the things that maybe that have historically torn this continent apart internally, we can start to fix some of those problems through the meritocracy of basketball.
1: Yeah, that's I, I, I agree with you, and I think you you'll see some of that. It also just gives people an opportunity, some of these players, to just better their lives, which better's their fams family, families' lives. And then usually you see those players giving back. Look at a guy like on the Pelicans, Cheick Diallo, who was born in Mali and didn't move to the United States until 2012 and didn't even speak English there. And now what he's able to do with the career he's having or just being in the NBA. So I think this is like only a good thing. It's nice to see the league be this progressive you wouldn't ever see the nfl doing anything like this really you know with a focus on the efforts that they're making so it's good to see this is what the league should be doing particularly with the international influence that's getting into the nba currently
0: yeah so i think it's important i think representation is super important that these these young uh, kids in africa can see that uh they have a path to this this uh incredible life and and basketball look basketball enriches a lot of people who get into it. I played basketball but not at an NBA level and it's enriched my life and it's given me a ton that's positive. And now imagine being uh a young boy or girl in Africa and and seeing this opportunity in front of you Getting this teamwork, getting this camaraderie, seeing this inclusion—I think that's important. And to the point of young girls, I, I think this league is is great. Uh, I hope that the NBA continues to further its investment in the WNBA as well. If we're talking about different um, investments that the league is making across its its platforms and and uh, around the world, I think it's important for the league to push the WNBA as, as far as well as push this league in Africa and push other leagues that it's getting involved in, in Europe. Uh, put the, put the right money behind it because, like I said, these young children in Africa, these young girls in the United States, these, these young children around the world see this representation, see people that look like them playing these sports and playing it well and having this, this great time and, and living this great life. Uh, it's important to, to inspire these kids uh, across the board. So I'm, I'm excited. I just hope, I hope that this, this investment continues across the board.
1: Yeah, you sum that up really well there. Hey, thanks.
0: Okay. So since that's done, wrapped up, let's move on to uh, some concern about LeBron and interesting stuff on Tim Donaghy. Tim Donaghy's back in the news, thanks to ESPN. We're going to cover that when we come back here on the Locked On NBA podcast. Remember to tell your smart speaker to play Locked On NBA or your favorite team-oriented Locked On podcast. Just use that trigger and say, play podcast Locked On, whatever it is. We're going to be right back here on Locked On NBA. In a story that will do nothing to uh, quell complaints about officiating and stoke the fears of fixing games, ESPN had, took a deep dive into the Tim Donaghy uh, referee experience and determined that he was able to influence the outcome in a very high percentage of games. Uh, not who won or lost, but point spreads things like that uh favoring the the team uh the favored team uh, or whichever team the money was riding on uh in in an effort to fix the games as far as fixing the point spreads it's an interesting topic here uh jake, jake because uh, here we are about to enter we have entered legalized gambling and in this age of last-two-minute reports and all that stuff, the NBA has been extraordinarily transparent or tried to be extraordinarily transparent in the wake of the Tim stuff because they absolutely need 1 million percent for this league to be viewed as on the up-and-up. They cannot. And all of the stuff that people say about, oh, the refs wanted this team to win or the league wanted this team to win, that absolutely cannot be true. There can't be any of that stuff. The league is in line to make a lot of money. They just signed a a an endorsement deal to uh what was it? It was the um uh, with DraftKings or to in
1: order, one of them, yeah, I know. One of those, uh, to
0: to provide the official statistics. Uh they're they're going to make a lot of money off of this. And they can't risk any of that money. It's imperative that officiating be Straight and narrow, as best it can. Uh, this story about Tim Donaghy is interesting in how he used his ability to call fouls to influence the, 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 uh, point spreads. But I wonder if this is going to kind of restart conspiracy theories and get people saying, look, look, that's exactly what Donaghy did.
1: Yeah, so I I went into this when we, when you and I were talking before we started recording. That uh, to me, this felt pretty cut and dry. You know, the FBA, the FBI cleared Donaghy, the NBA cleared Donaghy, and if you trust those two things, this is kind of a non-story. And as I'm reading more and more about this, I'm I'm moving a little bit away from that. And this thing just opens up a whole can of worms, none of which is good. Basically, the implication is then if he was doing this, and they have secondhand accounts. Uh, people surrounding him that have commented on this that they have quotes from they didn't speak to Donaghy himself I saw an interview he gave with a radio station earlier today that said no, no I didn't do this the FBI cleared me the NBA cleared me I was never charged with fixing games so I didn't and what the implication then is based off of this ESPN report would be and let me ask you if you if this is what you think that if he was doing this and let's say that's true that the NBA's covering this up because that's what it would seem to be if he, if their investigation turned up nothing or they're kind of just not doing nearly as much as they could. And that has so much, so many implications on the gambling side of things that we're going to start being to see as like the future of the sport with the NBA and most sports.
0: I don't think the NBA is covering anything up. Um, I think.
1: I, I, but I'm if you were a, consp- a conspiracy theorist, you probably you probably would. You see what I'm saying, though? Totally, so Absolutely. Absolutely. It, Go ahead. If there's people saying he fixed games and the NBA comes out and says they that he wasn't, if you believe the people saying he's fixed games, then the NBA didn't do a nearly good enough investigation or it would look bad for them and they never thought about the gambling future of this and decided just to kind of quash it and move on, and then they participated in some sort of cover-up.
0: That's the conspiracy theorist way to look at it. I mean, it, you can, the whole point of conspiracy theories, the whole, the whole reason they are, uh, they they spread is because there's a kernel of believability to it. There's some plausibility to what's being said. You know, it makes some people think, oh wait, wait a minute, wait a minute now. You know, it's enough to get people to say, don't be a, don't be a sheep. Don't follow the, you know, whatever. Just open your eyes. Um, I, I don't know without knowing how the NBA, Investigated. It's hard for me to say They it's very easy to do an investigation of something like this and not talk to certain people and say our investigation turned up X and maybe I'm just guessing here. They could say this is what our investigation turned up, but certain people weren't just weren't interviewed. And that helps them find the the result that they want, regardless of. Uh, I don't see the value in uh, covering that up. I, I I would want the league to be open and say, we found out this, he's he's been fired, he's been arrested, he's been tried, all of that stuff. Um, I don't know, man. The whole Donaghy thing bothers me a lot because of it, it has now given s- – some level of credence to anybody who doesn't want to believe what they're seeing on the floor. And I, I just hate that because the NBA needs to be, like I said, it needs to be legit. People bet big money on it. Uh, and I, I, if the NBA was fixed, I, I wouldn't, I would stop watching because it's just, <laughs> of I course I can't, I can't sit there and watch Like, I'll, I'll just you watch, watch wrestling? wrestling, I will watch wrestling, okay, and that's it. That, I mean that's but about you know
1: it. you know that going into it and you're you're okay with that. I don't think you're under you know the assumption that these guys are actually going out and competing and like really truly fighting in these wrestling matches. It's the other stuff with it, and it, yeah, I think it would it would kill the NBA or any sports league, and what I'm gonna laugh about over the next couple of days is this story is probably gonna be talked about for a while. So when these things come out, do, are you a fan of the phrase follow the money? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, I hate this. Everyone screams that, and I've been seeing this for like a month now here in here in New Orleans because apparently the NFL rigged things against the Saints with the Rams because the Rams are a bigger market and they wanted them in the Super Bowl. And anytime you try and talk against this, it's, fo- well, follow the money as if there's actually a trail we could follow or that they know based off of things ahead of time that the money actually follows. It makes no sense to me, but you're going to hear a lot of that <laughs> now. Well, and it's, it just makes No sense. But I don't know. This is like I said, this is a weird story because the more I'm reading about it, the more I'm thinking about it. It's like, yeah, he probably was trying to fix games that he was officiating in and then betting on them. That makes a ton of sense. But again, the FBI cleared him, the, and like you said, it, it actually is in the NBA's best interest to be like, we found this rogue element, we've smoked him out, we now have things in place to prevent this from happening in the future, and problem solved, because if they did cover it up, and something like this comes out, well then, you're seeing all this stuff cloud around it now, and that's not good at all for him.
0: Well, I will say this before we move on to quickly talk about LeBron James. I'm glad that the legalized gambling element has has begun, because it's historically been Las Vegas, the, the gambling entity that finds these before the league does. And any sort of point shaving and any sort of fixing and any sort of thing like that, it's the, it's the casinos. It's the, the outlet that finds it because they, they have tons of data on Celtics versus Pelicans, what, what the money is, how much money is consistently bet on the Celtics and if all of a sudden in one game there is an excessive amount of money bet on one team that raises a red flag and that's what generally gets people caught yep. so that's that's why i'm happy that sports betting is is coming into play that is a a watchdog people have been afraid that it would sully things that would get that would Create these situations. I think it fixes these situations. I think if, if sports betting were legal uh, all across the country, that this would have been somebody would have gotten greedy, somebody would have placed the big bet in some place legitimate, and it would have gotten smoked out earlier. So I'm glad that that's the case now. Quickly, LeBron James in the Athletic, Joe Varden in the he had a column, uh, 27 thoughts. From the All-Star game, his eighth thought, we're not gonna to get to all of them, says, <laughs> the Lakers are privately a little concerned about LeBron. Is he fully healed from the groin strain that cost him a career worst 18 games? Cites a uh, fourth quarter moment against the uh, Hawks, a game that they lost, where Trey Young switched onto LeBron, and LeBron basically passed the ball to Brandon Ingram, rather than take Trey young off the dribble and they're concerned that LeBron's not fully back. I have heard Jake that LeBron's playing at about 280 pounds through uh the uh, one of the ESPN podcasts uh, that was mentioned. Uh, Windhorse mentioned it. I don't know uh, if LeBron is not a hundred percent. What should the Lakers do?
1: Yeah, this one's also weird. And You know, uh, groin injuries can be tricky because they have a higher chance, I believe, of reoccurring and becoming lingering things. So was it better for him to sit out all these games, even though maybe he could have played to be 100 percent or above 100 percent and then go back in? But the team kind of be out of contention or if he's not 100 percent healthy right now, do they just need to make sure that it's smart for him to sit down? And I lean towards the latter that like don't play if you're injured here, LeBron, particularly if you're a Lakers fan. Because they have so much writing on him. Going forward, they didn't get Anthony Davis. Who knows how things are going to go this offseason and if they'll bring another star there. That there's more riding on him now than kind of ever before. But at the same point, he doesn't seem like he's in that patient mode that we thought we were going to see from him to start the season where basically he was ready to kind of give up on the year. And now it seems like he's a little bit frustrated that they haven't been winning. So does he then rush back? And I don't really have a good answer to this.
0: I, I don't think he should try to fight through it. I think he should, he's getting older. And this is the first, this is Drago bleeding. This is the first sign of his mortality. And (laughs) this is where the Lakers need to be super careful when it comes to LeBron. This season is, you're, you're, you're not in the playoffs now. And you're rushing to, face the Warriors in round one, and everyone's going, wow, how great would it be to have LeBron against the, the Warriors? I, I don't think that would be great because I think they would get destroyed and you'd see LeBron get swept by the Warriors. And I I know that Le, like LeBron just took the old Lakers scraps to the finals and got the gentleman sweep. Like, so they just... Don't bother. Don't bother. You rather have him ready. Whenever he's healthy, whenever he's 100% healthy, that's when he should play. If he's nursing it, if he's trying to play through it, don't, no, don't even just sit back,
1: relax. I I don't know, John. Follow the money. Imagine the ratings (laughs) between the, the Lakers and Warriors in the first round.
0: Yeah, just put Tim Donaghy in that, in that series and you'll get seven games.
1: If the Lakers win that, then it's like def- – we're going to create some conspiracy with uh, it, I'm sure. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> Let's stop. Let's stop. Uh, <laughs> just just get healthy, LeBron. I'd rather see a healthy LeBron. All right. That's the Locked On NBA podcast. Once again, I am one of your Wednesday co-hosts. I'm John Corrales from the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Red's Army underscore John.
1: And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake.
0: All right, stay tuned for tomorrow's broadcast. David Locke back for the Thursday show. We'll see you next week on Wednesday here on the Locked On NBA Podcast.